Okay. <clears throat> Hello. Hello. How y'all doing? Are we doing okay? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> well, today is January the 31st, last day. Can you ma imagine we're already in 2012 and turning turn the calendar again? Okay. Uh, does anybody need to remind me of anything? Okay. Then let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We're so glad that you have everything under control, that nothing misses your attention, and that you've given us this time to grow in grace and knowledge. So we pray that you will help us to redeem the time to focus under the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we can become better servants for you. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I had a joke I was going to tell, but I decided not to do it. I don't want to take up the time. I'll give it another time. Okay. <clears throat> we are in getting the gospel right. And we are in that portion of it, faith alone. And where we ended last time... Whoop, it hit and went that way. <laughs> Whenever it hits, you don't know it's going to find a far corner. <laughs> okay. There it is. I don't know if I'm in the biggest. I need to get bigger, don't I? Okay. Let's see where I am here. Uh, 75 to 100. Is that better? Okay. All right. Um To demonstrate that we do not have to confess our sins, we don't have to confess that Jesus is Lord. In fact, we don't have to say anything in order to be saved. When we say faith alone in Christ alone, that's what we mean, faith only. And we went to John chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And we recognize that this is a... Scripture that comes from uh, Numbers 21, verses 5 through 9. I don't know if... I didn't read that last time, but you might jot that down. That's an interesting read there. All the Israelites had to do was look at that image that Moses had hammered out out, out of uh, brass, and they would be saved. They would be saved, that is, or delivered physically from physical death. <clears throat> what did it take for them to look at that image. didn't take really any effort, did it? But it did take faith. If someone said, well, all you have to do is look at that image and you will not die from a snake bite and they say, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to look. What would happen to them? 
they die of the snake bite. So it's a good illustration of Christ being lifted up on the cross. All we have to do is believe, and we are eternally saved. Uh, the reason I, I, I did that was so we could see that there was no uh, anything necessary other than just faith. We went to 2 Kings 18, 3 through 4. What did the people do? As they always have done, they wanted to worship that image of that serpent that he hammered out in order to... Uh, they were burning incense to it and so forth. And... <coughs> We went through all that. We saw these images here, see them, of what, how these have carried over into our day and time. Now, when you see something yellow like this, this is something that I didn't have last time. But I thought I ought to add this as another illustration that you do not have to confess your sins. You do not have to confess that Jesus is Lord. You don't have to confess anything. <coughs> the following verse is another example of believers in Christ who said nothing to acquire or maintain their eternal salvation. It's John chapter 12, verse 42 through 43. Here it, here it is. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. There is the... That's the, the main part there, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And what was the... Were, were they truly saved? What do you think? Absolutely. There, I make it bigger for y'all because I see some of you squinting. That's as big as I can get. <coughs> so, they believed in him, but because they were afraid of the retaliation of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. They didn't say anything. But it doesn't say anything here about, oh, well, they weren't really saved because they didn't confess Jesus as Lord. So this is yet another illustration that we do not have to confess. We don't have to say anything. I was... Um, <coughs> listening to the radio, uh, running a few errands uh, this afternoon, and I just, I just have to keep my composure when I hear these people on the radio. Sometimes you see them on the TV that says that you have to um, confess your sins. You have to, uh, sometimes they say, you have to feel sorry for your sins even. Name your sins, feel sorry for sins. You have to invite Christ into your heart. Uh, you have to repent, uh, all these things that they say, and it simply cannot be substantiated through the Scripture. It's faith alone, in Christ alone, period. Always with regards to eternal salvation. We went to Romans 10:13 about <coughs> calling upon the name of the Lord. That's a quote from Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Uh, I'm not going to go over this again, but you'll remember in that quote down towards the bottom, it is talking about <clears throat> the great and awesome day of the Lord. There was going to be, it describes tribulation prior to that phrase. And when it's talking about that particular day, it's talking about the narrow view of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when God starts pouring his wrath out on a world that has rejected him. The entire world that has rejected him. That means all believers are taken out, and the only thing that's left after we're gone out of here, after the rapture, is nothing but unbelievers 
that's when God is going to uh, start the, the, the long day or the extended day of the Lord. The wrath is going to be poured out for seven years. And then there's going to be a time of blessing. And then there's going to be a new heavens and new earth. But at the end of that seven years is when Jesus Christ is going to return. And I've designated that the narrow day of the Lord because a day can be an extended time, even more than a thousand years. Or it can be a single day, a certain time. And that's when Christ is returning. That's what we see in this Joel chapter 2 passage. And then and that's what he's describing. And we did all that so that <clears throat> it says in verse 32, and it will come about, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. And that's talking about physical deliverance. They're calling out for the Lord because they've already trusted in the Lord. They trust him to help them and he will do it. Okay, let's scroll on down here. Calling upon the name of the Lord and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. These are all found in Romans chapter 10. Are parallel statements that com complement one another. Both require submission to the Lord and humbling yourself. And both result in salvation or deliverance after salvation. Got that? That after is real important. And then to, to bring this to an end, saved in verse 9.13. Let me go up to verse 9.13 up here. There it is. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we said that this is deliverance physically with, with regards to the nation because that was the context and the subject that Paul was covering. Those who called upon on the Lord already had trusted in the Lord. That's why they were calling on Him to be saved. So they didn't have to call on Him to be saved eternally. They already were. They were calling for physical deliverance. <clears throat> And that saved, what I'm showing you down here, is that saved is, is found in verse 1, 9, and 10, as well as 13. And it has the same meaning, physical deliverance, from certain dispersion and unbearable suffering if they did not respond to their God and obey it. Are we done now? Do you all have any questions about Romans 10 and confessing? Making any confessions to, to the Lord? Okay. We're going to start something different now. Yes? Well, we're about to go into one that's kind of like that, but I chose Romans 10 because that was the one that was the most clear. That's the one that most people go to that would say that you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord or that you have to confess your sins or anything else. That's the one that is the go-to verse for the most part. And that's why I wanted to go to that one because uh, by now I hope that all of you would be able to refute that. That, that the, the key is that uh, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul is not talking about uh, his heart's desire is that his brethren, the Jews, be eternally saved. 
Of course, we understand he wanted that. But he also knew that the time was short. The church age had already begun. A.D. 70 was just around the corner, and he was trying to uh, preserve the nation. Yes. This is the only one that I know that directly connects the Shema. Any other questions? The Shema was in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our, is, uh, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That's what they were saying with their mouth, but it didn't mean anything to them. And remember Christ said, or regular, Paul said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then that, Christ, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That means delivered. See, they were saying it with a mouth, but they weren't believing it. It was just rote. He says, for with a mouth, um, or with a heart, one believes unto uh, salvation, and with the uh, mouth, one uh, confesses Jesus as Lord. And the main thing about that to re remember is that Paul was talking about if the nation was going to be delivered, they had to do two things, not one. First of all, they did have to believe in their heart that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead. They had to trust Christ as their Savior. But they also had to confess him as Lord, which means they had to submit to him, obey him, and then they were going to be delivered. Can you all remember that? That's the key part of what we study. Now we're going to switch gears and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. So turn to Matthew chapter 7. And I just label this portion. You shall know them by their fruits. Ever heard that before? Anybody ever do any fruit inspecting of your life? Huh? Oh, you haven't lived till you've had a fruit inspector. I've had more than one. <laughs> and you know at the time it wasn't so fun but I think I could have fun with it now you can tie them in knots if you know how and it's not just to win now, don't, don't let me give you the idea that it's a contest no it's to make them think and for them to see that what they have embraced is a satanic lie and it doesn't make sense all right <clears throat> You shall know them by their fruits. I guess I better turn to Matthew 2 so that we'll be on the same page here. Matthew chapter 7. By the way, that's the end, bringing to an end the Sermon on the Mount. 5 through 7 chapters there. Okay, verse 13. Well, let's start at verse 12. Well, I wasn't going to include 12, but how can you not include 12? Look at it. Therefore, however, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. What does that sound like? The golden rule, right? Well, it is. It's the golden rule. It's not said exactly the same way, but do unto others the way that you would have them do unto you, and that's what we, how we should treat others, Right? However, for us, we have, an even, we have even a more sophisticated and even a higher goal than just treating others the way that we would like to be treated. 
for us, we have a higher spiritual standard. We are to treat others the way that Christ treats us. And that, dear friends, is a higher standard. But we weren't going to go there, so we'll just press on. It starts in verse 13. Now, you'll have to remember, this is in the still the age of the Jews. And for the age of the Jews, they didn't think in terms of going to heaven. They thought in terms of entering the kingdom. You understand that? Because that's what the Old Testament prophets had prophesied so heavily about was the kingdom. The forerunner of the Messiah had come, John the Baptist. He was the herald of the king. The king was on earth, so what was really pertinent to them was entering the kingdom. You got that? Okay, verse 13. Well, no, let's, let, me, let me, I have verse 13 right down here, but let's, let's look up here on the board before we actually start getting into the verse. You shall know them by their fruits. Does this mean that you can determine someone's salvation by their behavior? Well, you don't have to say if you don't know, and just don't say yes because everybody else is going like this or whatever. Let's just, we're going to answer that. False teachers were and are wolves in sheep clothing even today. Their outward behavior is not corrupt, so it would be impossible to tell them to tell if they are saved or not by their behavior. Only by what they say and teach do they reveal who they really are. That's a key part of what we're going to be looking at. Have you ever seen a wolf in sheep clothing? There's one right there. See him? He's not he's kind of scary looking sight, isn't he? Wolf in sheep's clothing. Now we'll get into verse thirteen. Get your pencils ready or your pens. We're going to write a little few things in your Bible if you have room in the margin. Enter. They're talking about entering the, the kingdom. That's what I was talking about. This is an aorist active imperative. In other words, he is commanding them. Enter through the narrow gate. The narrow gate is the gospel. For the gate is wide, that is religion. The gate is wide, religion, and the way, that would be salvation by works, is broad and leads to destruction. Now I'll give you I'll go over that again and you can pencil in if you want to or you can look up here. Enter is the aorist active imperative. It means you enter in a certain you enter at a certain point. Active voice, you have to enter. No one else can enter for you. And it's an imperative mood, meaning it's a command. But the way you enter is through a narrow gate. The narrow gate here in context is referring to the gospel. For the gate is wide, and that would be referring to religion. Boy, is it ever wide. And the way, which for religion is salvation by works, is broad and leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. That means who try to get to heaven by their works. I don't know what the percentage is, 
But those who try to get to heaven or to nirvana or get to the celestial sphere, whatever it is by works, is a huge percentage. Verse 14. For the gate is small. That gate, again, is referring to the gospel. The gate, meaning the gospel, is small, meaning only one way. John 14.6. Anybody know what John 14.6 is? Yeah. Right. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the one that people like Oprah and just about everyone else who is a works-based salvation believer hate that verse. And they will hate you for saying it. And if you haven't been in that situation and people start to persecute you and demean you and attack you for saying that, how small-minded that is and how arrogant it is to think that you have the answer and it's only through Christ, whenever that happens to you, what should you do? Rejoice. For the gate, referring to the gospel, is small. It's only one way. And we would say faith, faith alone in Christ alone. And the way is narrow. There it is. Faith alone in Christ alone. So, verse 14, For the gate, the gospel, is small, only one way. It's not broad. There's not a lot of ways or any ways to, to God. There is only one way to God the Father, and that is through who? Jesus Christ. And so the way is narrow, faith alone in Christ alone, that leads to, and you have life, and it would be eternal life. And there are few who find it. Most believe in Satan's lie of salvation by works. I'm going to read it again, so you'll have all these brackets in there. Enter, aorist active imperative, through the Narrow gate, the gospel, for the gate is wide, religion, and the way, meaning salvation by works, is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it who try to get to heaven by their works. Verse 14, for the gate, the gospel, is small, only one way in, which is John 14:6, and the way is narrow. The only way is faith alone in Christ alone that leads to eternal life, and there are few who find it because they're all believing satanic lie of salvation by works. I want to make sure you all have that because I'm fixing to... That's a, that's a good southern term. I just, I've grown up saying I'm fixing to do something. I'm a fixing to show you the other side of that coin. Are you all ready? Okay, here is a legalistic paraphrase of that verse. This is the way most people see it when they read it. Enter, referring to heaven, through the narrow gate. Don't write this down. Just, this, is <laughs> this is what they think it means. Enter by the narrow gate of morality and good works, for the gate to hell is, is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And they would say that would be immorality, drinking, carousing, fornication, lying, stealing, cursing, etc., etc. 
and there are many who enter through it. For the gate, the way to heaven, is small, and the way is narrow. A rigid standard of behavior is required that leads to eternal life, and there are few who find it, that is, who comply with the rigid standard of behavior required to make it into heaven. That is how most people read that verse. Do you see the difference? I, if, if, if you had this verse, if you, had, if you could put, up, put this on a card, the legalistic paraphrase, and then you had the brackets filled in that I gave you there, which fits the context, I would probably say at least 90 out of 100 would go with the legalistic paraphrase. This is what people think. Most people think that the narrow gate is a certain standard of morality and good works. They think the wide gate is a certain standard of immorality and sin. This attitude is sometimes expressed by one saying, you have to walk the straight and narrow path if you want to get into heaven. That's what most people think. Well, what is the straight and narrow path? Morality and good works, of course. False teachers reinforce this notion by the false doctrines they teach. This is, I'm, I'm, I couldn't wait to do this. What would you say if someone told you that you must walk the straight and narrow path to get to heaven? Now, you can either write down your answer or formulate it in your mind, but I'm going to give you a minute or two to think about that one because I'm going to get some feedback to see what you would say. Now, think about it. Most of the time, they're not going to come right and say that to you, but you might be able to uh, ferret it out by doing what? Asking questions. So they finally just come right out and say, yes, yeah, you want to go to heaven, you have to walk the straight and narrow path. <laughs> well, we have one brave soul said, how straight? Well, that's good. But I don't think it should be necessarily the first thing that you do. Anybody got an idea what the first thing you should do would be? Huh? You're going to fly? <laughs> yes? Well, yeah, well, you, you did right in saying not necessarily morality and good works because they didn't say morality and good works. That's what they meant. But when someone says that you have to uh, walk the straight and narrow path to get to heaven, the first thing that you should ask them is, what do you mean by that? I mean, don't, assume, don't just start answer, asking questions. Let them define that for you because you don't know what they mean. You might think you know what they mean, but you have no idea. There's no telling what somebody would think if they would say you have to walk the straight and narrow path to get to heaven. Don't forget that. When someone makes an assertion and you're not absolutely crystal clear, you know exactly what they mean, what's the best thing to do? Ask them. Well, what do you mean the straight and narrow? Now, what you said, Rachel, is good, but it just comes next. <laughs> So when you ask them that, really just stop and listen to what they say. And usually, you know what they're going to do? 
they're going to start fumbling and bumbling around because they're not used to having to defend anything. Most Christians that would talk to someone, even if they know the true gospel, won't ask them anything. They'll just start in right, right off the bat. Oh, no, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, they, say, they would allege that they already do. So we want to find out what's in their head, and you do that by asking questions. So you ask them, uh, what do you mean that by the straight and narrow path to get to heaven? I mean, I don't want to go to hell. It, it, is it, what, what is the standard? What, where, what is it? Tell me what I must do to walk the straight and narrow path. What is the straight and narrow path? You, you see the questions you're going to be asking them? Now let me ask you something. Who's going to have the heat on them, you or them? They are. You don't have to defend anything. When you're asking these questions, they're the ones that have the pressure on them to explain something that, guess what? They have no way to explain this. Where are they going to get this standard? What they're essentially saying is, you have to meet a high standard. And all you have to do is to ask them, what is the standard? Don't ask them where it is yet. Just ask them what it is. And they're going to start straining already because there are no verses that say that you have to have a certain standard of behavior that you have to walk a straight and narrow way. So when you ask them what is the standard, what do you think they're going to say? Just put your mind, open your mind and just think, well, give me some answers as feedback. What do you think they might say? Okay, Nary. Okay, well, this is, see, they would say, I guess you could say walking the straight and narrow would be refraining from sin. Because essentially what they have in their mind, this is a twofold thing that you have to do. Not only do you have to perform good works, but you also have to stay out of sin. That's essentially what they mean. So in their answer, they are either going to tell you that you have to do A, B, C, and D in order to do the good part, and you have to refrain from X, Y, Z over here with the bad part, which is the sin. They're going to probably give you one or the other or a mixture of both. And it doesn't matter what they're going to come up with. You understand that? Because whenever they are through explaining to you what it means to walk the straight and narrow path, they're giving you this standard. Once they lay it out for you, and don't interrupt them. The more they say, the better. The tighter the noose gets, the more details they give you. Don't interrupt them and say, oh, no, you don't have to. Just let, it out. let them give it all out. And then once they're through, the more details they give you, the better. What are you going to say? Yeah. Where did you get that information? Where do you get that idea? Whatever you want to say. You're, you, if this is a standard, you want to know, okay, did this, was this Jack, your neighbor over here, that thought this up and dreamed it up and he told you? Told you over the back fence? Is that where you got the information? Did you read it somewhere? If you read it, where was it from? You, you see what I'm saying? So you let them get it out. They're going to articulate to you what this standard of walking the straight and narrow is. And when they're done, you say, okay, is it, did you come up with this yourself? Or where did you get this information? And then what do you do? Right. You You button it until they answer you. 
Because you know what they're doing while you're keeping silent? They're sweating. They're sweating bullets. Because they probably most of them will know this came right out of thin air. They probably won't tell you that. You know what they might say? What I've heard several times? Oh, it's somewhere in the Bible. So that you that usually do their hand like it, it's somewhere in the Bible. You know, like this. Oh, really? Are you sure? Where? <laughs> and by then, you know what they're going to be doing? Changing the subject. <laughs> but you know, it just depends. If the Holy Spirit leads you, you don't necessarily have to let them go. Well, oh, no, wait a minute. You know, we're not through here. I, I need to, you know, you're going to leave me going to hell. I want to know. You know, don't, don't leave. We can't talk about going to hell if you don't meet the standard and then change the subject when I'm trying to figure out where do you get this information. I need, I need to read up on this. Yes. Pardon? Okay, the question was, what if they ask us what the straight and narrow is? If someone asked me what the straight and narrow is, I would say, I didn't bring it up. I didn't say anything about a straight and narrow. How can I explain something that you brought up? We're not going to bring it up. I mean, if you bring it up, you don't know what the gospel is. You're not grace-oriented and you need help. So we're never going to bring up the straight and narrow. They are. And so if they, if they let's say that they're struggling and they can't get what the straight and narrow is. They cannot even articulate what they're talking about. You might want to help them. You might say, are you talking about a certain standard of work and good deeds that are required to get in heaven and refrain them from certain kind of sins or certain number of sins? Is that what you're saying? You're not telling them what it is. You're asking them, is that what they're saying? And they're probably, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, that's it. Because some people can't articulate two sentences. And so if you want to help them that way, you can. And so as soon as you explain it to them and they say, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, then what do you do? No, no, no. What? Right. You're going to ask them, well, where do you find that? You're just speculating. Is this what you're talking? You're guessing. And when they say, yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh, well, you must have seen that somewhere before. Where did you get that? I mean, you said the straight and narrow way. I helped you articulate it. Now, where did you see that? Where's the pressure again? Right back on them? Or you might, it just depends. That they might say, well, I, I don't know. Maybe you can help me with it. And you, Why would I want to help you? You're the one telling me what I need to do to get, a he, get to heaven. You want me to explain it to you so you can tell me? So, <laughs> there we are, right? I, I, I knew this was going to be good. So, you know, people don't usually just come up and tell you that you have to walk the straight and narrow in order to get to heaven, but in so many words they are. If they start laying out all these things, usually they won't say that, but they'll say uh, if the subject of being saved or getting to heaven or what happens after death or any of these things come up, uh, the, and you say, well, what, what, what do you got to do? They're going to start giving a laundry list, okay? 
And when they're giving you that laundry list, it's the same as saying, this is the narrow way that we have to walk in. And so when they give you the laundry list, okay, what are you going to do? Where did you get that list? Where did you get that notion, that idea? Are y'all going to do that? Because I'm concerned. I don't know if you have it or not. Every time I ask you a question, y'all look like a deer in the headlights. You do. Listen, you cannot go wrong if you answer me by saying, ask a question. You got it. Because that's what you're going to do. It doesn't matter what they say. You understand that? If they don't have the gospel, well, even if they do have the gospel right, you want to make sure they have it right. If you say, what do you have to do to be saved? And they say, well, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. Are you going to let it go at that? No. I'm going to act surprised. You mean, that's all I have to do? I do it? Oh, man, I, I make sure. I, they have to think that they are going against me to say the right thing. That's all you, you're saying that's all you have to do? And if they say, absolutely, I say, hello, brother. Shake hands. But most of the time they don't. Oh, well, you have to be good. You know, you've you, you got to go to church and they just give you the laundry list and then what are you going to do? Where's that list? I've never seen that list. I don't want to leave anything out. Where can I go to find it? And they can't find it. Yes. My, re- my response to that would be, oh, and wait. Okay. I think you're assuming that when you're talking to these people, uh, <laughs> they that uh, they also believe in the Bible. That turned on. Okay, hold it closer. Uh, either the American Standard or okay. the King right. James. Mm-hmm. What if they don't? If they don't what? Believe in the necessarily believe in our Bible. Okay. What we are addressing right now in faith alone and in this study, we're going to get to, the, to that. Okay. But right That's now, right. we are just limiting it to those who would at least uh, subscribe or profess about Jesus Christ. Now, there's a whole other thing when you don't have the Bible. But I think probably, wouldn't you all agree that most of the people that we come in contact with would at least profess that Jesus Christ uh, is, is, is the Son of God or they would say they believe in Jesus Christ. Most of the people that I've come in contact with do. Very few have I come in contact with that was a Buddhist or a Muslim or somebody that did not even profess faith in Christ. But the great masses in our periphery where we live, I think, would profess to believe in Jesus Christ and, but, but add a multitude of things other than faith for salvation. And that's why I'm trying to prepare us because just because they say they believe in Christ, if they add all this other laundry list, they're not even saved. They don't, they're not grace-oriented. They have not received the gift because it only comes as a... Uh, they haven't received sal- eternal life because it only comes as a gift. But we're going to get to that. Right, right. We're, we'll, we're just taking this a bite out of time. But... This is one, see, there are the Reformed theology, uh, there are denominations like the two churches right down here on the 290. Uh, That group, uh, 
Catholics, there's a whole host of people that would say, read this Matthew chapter 7, and they would give it this legalistic paraphrase. That's what they believe. And that's what we have to be ready to address, and we do it by simply asking them what they mean. What is the narrow, uh, the narrow way, and where did they find that? What they're saying when they say another, uh, a narrow way is essentially there is a standard that you must meet. And what are they talking about? They're talking about a standard of behavior. And where do you go in the Bible to find that standard behavior that relates to eternal salvation? It is not there. And they cannot find it. And when you ask them, they're going to start struggling, which is what you want them to do. I mean, we're not trying to be unkind, but I would rather put somebody on the hot spot for a few moments to hear the truth and help them recognize that they've embraced the lie rather than just skirt the issue and everybody has nicey-nicey with each other. They have to be uncomfortable if they've embraced the lie. And all you're doing is exposing that they don't know what they're talking about. The misunderstanding of this verse has caused untold numbers of people to reject the true gospel. They are certainly not attracted to the narrow gate, which in their mind eliminates most of the things they like to do. To them, entering the narrow gate would, be, would result in a boring life with no fun or excitement. You know that is true. You talk to someone about the narrow gate and they're thinking that I have to change my behavior. I can't do all, I can't drink, I can't dance, I can't curse, I can't fornicate, I can't, uh, you know, carouse. I, I, I like to do all those things. And I can't do that. This is an advertisement not for Christianity. This is an advertisement for Satan. He wants people to get that idea that, boy, walking the straight and narrow, your life is over. Forget about having fun. It's going to be boring. It's going to be a list of things you hate to do. So why would anybody want to walk it? That's because it was the wrong view. They, don't know, they know nothing of John 10.10. 10. I, Jesus, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What they don't recognize is in God's Word, He's given us the formula for an abundant life, full of joy, full of security, full of confidence and courage, all the things that people want. But no, they don't believe that. What they want to do is go out and satiate the lust of their flesh, and it always ends up hollow. That's Satan's lie. Well, we just begin to fight here. We've just gone through two verses here. Wow. Matthew 17, uh, excuse me, 715 Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, beware is a present active imperative. The present tense means you have to keep on being aware, being alert, be vigilant, constantly. Active voice, you're the one that has to do it, and it's a command. It is interesting that our Lord gave a warning about false teachers immediately following his com comment about the narrow and wide gates because he knew that false teachers would distort the gospel into a legalistic system of works. 
So this is all explaining in metaphor, meta, metaphoric terms about the gate, about the door. Who is the door? Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is to enter the gate by faith. But they're trying to add everything else to it. And that's why our Lord knew they were going to do that. So you understand, immediately following this concept of Jesus Christ and faith being the only way, it's the narrow gate, and religion the wide gate and everything, he knew that the false teachers, the legalistic false teachers were going to attack it. So now he is talking about false teachers in sheep's clothing. Matthew 7:16 You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? Now this word will know is called is, is in the Greek is epigenosko. That's E P I G I N O S K O. Epigenosko. It's a future middle indicative. It what it means is if you're vigilant, you will know something in the future. As false teachers come into your, into your periphery, you're going to recognize them. The indicative mood, it means it's a reality. And the middle voice, see, we don't have a middle voice in English, so it's hard for some to understand. It's reflexive. What it means is the subject produces the action of the verb. So if you are the subject and you know this, then you're benefited by your own action. That's what the middle voice means. You got that? Do I need to say it again? Some are going like this and some are going like this. Okay, the middle voice means that the subject, in this case, who is the subject? What does it say? You. You are the subject. And the middle voice means if you know, or you will know, and by knowing, the action of knowing is going to benefit you. But look at this. Indicative mood means it's reality. It's not a potential. It actually is a reality. Look at this. This is the definition of epigonosco. And this is word for word out of Strong's Dictionary. To identify newly acquired information with what had been previously learned. You got that? That's what epigenosco, that's what this word means. You will know. It means to ident identify newly acquired information, which in context is talking about what? False teachers. You will know them. Why? Because, you have, because of information that you had previously learned. This is not automatic, folks. You have to know the previously, before the false teacher starts teaching, this information. And when you do, it's going to benefit you. That's the middle voice. You're going to know them by their fruits. Okay, uh, let's go down here a little bit. Was he saying that you can know believers by their fruits, their behavior? Huh? No. He was referring to false teachers, right? That's why I say, has anybody ever told, talked to you about, let's, let's get, go over to the side, let me get my clipboard. We need to talk about your 
absence of fruit bearing in your life. You never had anybody do that. Some of you have, some of you haven't. Some of you live a sheltered life. <laughs> what was their fruit? Their behavior? What do you think? No. Remember, they were wearing what? Sheep's clothing. Their behavior and their demeanor would indicate that they were sheep believers. So their fruit wasn't their behavior, was it? Do you understand what this is saying? Everybody that wants to judge whether one is going to heaven or not by their behavior because they're trying to determine if they're walking the straight or narrow or not, that's a bunch of baloney. Because they couldn't judge whether they were sheep or not because if they did, they would certainly say they were what? They were sheep. They behave like sheep. They look like sheep. They smell like sheep. They walk like sheep. They talk like sheep. They ate like sheep. Dumb like sheep. So everybody would look at them and say, uh-huh, if it was about their behavior, they would be fooled, wouldn't they? I know what I need to do. See? If you were a sheep, that's what you would say, at a distance at least, that's a sheep. Their outside look, their behavior, their exterior looked like it was sheep. Uh, so it wasn't their beha- their behavior. So if it wasn't their behavior, what was it? I told you earlier, is their words, what they said, what they taught. Their fruit was the destructive false doctrines they taught. That's what a prophet, our communicator of the word, their fruit is what they say. We must be careful not to discern whether prophets, that would be communicator of the word, are true or false by what they do or by their appearance. I don't know what a pastor is supposed to look like. The only thing I know is I don't look like one. I don't know how many people that ask me, well, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Well, you don't look like a pastor. (laughs) Oh, yeah, where's the standard? (laughs) That's what I ought to ask them. Huh? Show me that standard. What verse in the Bible says what a a pastor looks like? Matthew 12, 37. Just jot that down. I don't want to stop right there just now. But again, it will will explain how you can tell who who someone is by what they say. Isn't this true? Aren't there people out there that are very moral? Aren't there people that go to church every Sunday? Aren't there people that are great neighbors? They're probably better than we are. Well, I don't know. Some of y'all are pretty good. I can say that they're better than me. Outwardly, they wouldn't say a curse word. I have to clean this up, but it does illustrate. (laughs) They wouldn't say manure if they had a mouthful. <laughs> I cleaned that one up. So you got my, you get the point. I mean, these are great people. But does that mean that they're saved? No. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to walk the straight and narrow to get into heaven, and it cannot be done. And when you show them 
that it cannot be done. And there's nowhere in God's Word that says there is a straight and narrow that must be complied with to get to heaven. You are doing them the greatest favor that anybody could ever do. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. This will explain what I'm talking about. This is Moses, and he's talking about how do you discern a true prophet from a false prophet. Verse 1, this is Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let's go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them, Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words, the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments and listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. So what is this saying? Look what they were doing. Uh, they were uh, giving signs and wonders and some of their prophecies were coming true and they were doing miracles. He's saying if they do all of these things, but they tell you to do something contrary to what the Word has said, what do you do? You shall not listen to the words. What makes a any communicator of the word, a false or true communicator, isn't the way he lives or she lives. It's, well, for I should just say he, because there's only male com communicators of the word, at least as far as pastor teachers go. It is what he says that makes him a false teacher, not by what he does, not by his behavior, it's by what he says. And you know what? It's the same thing with people as well. People can be the nicest people on earth and be going straight to hell because they're trying to walk the narrow way. And they might be someone that you would be embarrassed to even be seen with. I guess the, the worst, I, don't, I shouldn't say the worst, the most different looking be believer I have ever seen was at a motorcycle rally. We had some people who came to this church at one time who were um, engaged in uh, motorcycle uh, clubs, and they gave a church service on Sunday. They came to this church for a, a, a while. And they asked Carrie and I to go to one of their motorcycle uh, rallies one time. It was before our church started. And so we went there early, and it was interesting. <laughs> I wasn't there Five minutes, and this guy came up, and he had chaps on with a fringe on. He had a T-shirt on. He had more tattoos than you could believe. He had a bald head, and he had a swastika tattooed on his head. He had about half his teeth missing. I mean, he was a sight. And he came up to me, and the guy, the this fellow that was in this uh, uh, CMA, I'm a Christian Motorcycle Association. He was giving the service. He said, oh, this is my good friend. Boy, what a believer. And I said, what? He says, 
he knows more Scripture than I do. And this guy loved to talk about the Lord. And I'm thinking, you'd never think that he was a believer. Surely you wouldn't think that he was walking the straight and narrow. Well, he probably wasn't. But you know what? None of us do. Because if there was a straight and narrow, which there is no such status or no such conditions or uh, qualifications to get into heaven, but if they were, we wouldn't meet them. We wouldn't have to meet them perfectly, would we? And we couldn't meet them all the time, could we? You hear the questions I'm saying? Because if we messed up one time, according to the Bible, what? We are toast. Oh, my God. Yeah? Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know what? These people that I'm talking about, the reason they stuck around Country Bible Church is because they came on a, I don't know, it was a, I think well, I was only teaching on Wednesday night at that time. And they came in on a Wednesday night, and they it, it was still daylight then. It was in the summertime. They came pulling up on their motorcycles, and they were Harleys, <laughs> you know, like this. And they'd come roaring in. They got out, and they were in their full regalia. They had their chaps on and their colors and everything. And they came in, and they strutted right in here and sat down. And we welcomed them and made them feel at home. And they were impressed with that. And that's what we should do. We don't judge people by the outside. whole point is that you must listen to what people say. They can be the most righteous-looking, the most church-going, the most moral people you will ever meet. But if anything other than faith alone and Christ alone comes out of their mouth, they are not saved. And we cannot be fooled. We can't believe the false teachers that says that our behavior has anything to do with our eternal salvation. And you won't hear that from many pulpits, I guarantee you. Now, should we live exemplary lives as Christians? Absolutely. Do we get chastised if we don't? Absolutely. But it has nothing to do with where we will spend eternity. And we will continue this next time. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time that we can fellowship in your word again. We just revel in the grace and the mercy and the love that we see in every word of Scripture. We're so thankful that nothing depends upon us. Everything depends upon who and what you are. And we want to be better prepared so that we can tell people how to enter the small gate simply by faith alone in Christ alone. And we pray it in his name. Amen.